When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brother, do you know Chevy K from Crossing Broad? Uh, I do not know him, no. Well, I know who he is. Chevy K. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> anyway. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. Welcome in on a Wednesday afternoon. Just me today. Me and you, actually. We're going to do a mailbag podcast. We're going to answer your questions, comments, and concerns as we focus on Atlas. Philadelphia Union 1, Atlas 0. Their first win over a Liga MX side uh, in meaningful competition ever. Hooray! It's a big, uh, that's, that's a big milestone right there. I mean, no, but nobody should really downplay that, right? I mean, it's the first time they've beat, uh, beaten a Mexican side in meaningful competition, right? You had to beat a Mexican team in the Champions League. How can you not be happy about that? They have wins over, they beat Pachuca and they beat Pumas in, in friendlies, but I mean, who gives a shit about those really? I mean, this was, this is one that mattered. And, uh, you know, the fact that they, that Atlas is the only Liga MX team on their side of the bracket that's keeping them, uh, you know, between that, that stands between the union and the CCL finals. I mean, that was a good way to, to start with a one nothing win and a, and a clean sheet at home. Uh, I'm going to go straight up Negadelphia, though, after that result, because I just felt it was another performance that failed the eye test. Similar to the Chicago win from earlier in the season when they got the one nothing. you know, you're looking at them trying to break down a, a 10-man team and they don't really have any ideas and then they luck into the goalkeeper flubbing a a shot from from Joaquin Torres I guess at the end there and you're sitting there thinking like okay they got the win they got the three points but I, I know what I just watched with my eyes and that that didn't do it for me right what, what I saw in this game on Tuesday night was the same thing as what I saw in the Chicago game and in the Alianza home game to an extent because they got the red card in that game as well. And they just beat down a lesser team 11 V 10. And that team was obviously not as good as Chicago and not as good as Atlas as well. But the, the fact of the matter, if we're being honest with ourselves, which is what we should always be more than anything is that this game was decided by two Absolutely fucking ridiculous bonehead plays from the other team. <laughs> All right. Honest to God, the terrible back pass leading to the dog so red card at the end of the first half, stoppage time in the first half. And then, similar to the Chicago game, Union come back, they hit the post, they have a couple deflected shots that go right to the goalkeeper. Then the goalkeeper makes an error for Atlas and they get a penalty. Not a great penalty taken. Gosh, dog scuffs it. It squirts underneath the goalkeeper who guessed the right way. And you're sitting here thinking, oh, God, okay, whatever, we'll take it. 
right? So they get the win and and it's whatever. But you you and I all you and I watched the same thing, right? Okay, that that performance just was was not as good as it could have been. And I you know, if you want to look at the positive side of things, you say Casey comes in here, they keep a clean sheet. Andre Blake's back, Jacob Glessens looked good, Damian Lowe looked good, didn't concede a goal in 90 minutes against KC, didn't concede a goal 90 minutes against Atlas. All right. Okay, you could spin it that way for sure. You could also say they played 90 against KC and couldn't score at home. They played 45 at Atlas at home against 11 men, full strength, couldn't score. And then in the second 45, they needed a PK to score. So, you know, we talk about glass half empty, glass half full in terms of perspective on how you're going to look at a game. But I don't have any problem going Negadelphia for this because I just have higher expectations for the union this year. Right. I think you guys and gals who listen to this podcast for a long time know that I try to be pragmatic about these things. Even when Chris was on the show a week or two ago or whenever we recorded last two or three weeks ago, when Chris Gibbons was on, we talked about let's not go negative. Let's not turn into Eagles fans. So I talk about fire the coach or bench his player, you know, a couple games in. And we're not going to do that. But it's different with the union because we know what this team can be. Yeah, the expectations are higher. And the union team that I've seen so far this year is not the union team that I know they can be. And they know that too. It's not any kind of surprise. And this is this is Captain Obvious telling you this stuff. I know they started slow last year. But the fact of the matter is that in three of their four wins this year, they've been at home in all competitions. I'm sorry. In three of their four wins in all competitions, they've come at home in games where the other team has gone down to 10. Chicago, Alianza, Atlas, right? So in how many games have they have they truly looked like themselves? Season opener, 4-1 against Columbus, sure. The 4-0 four, the four against Alianza, sure. I mean, even, even before, the, before the red card, they looked like they were on their way to win in that game. And then the middle portion of the Montreal game where they get the two goals, Mikel Ua looks like the guy that we saw last year. And then you have the Julian Carranza red card and the whole, you know, imbiso disaster on the back end there. So that's my, excuse me, that's my macro level take on on Atlas. And I'm happy for the win, but I, I don't know about going down there next week with a one nothing when I know that they can score at home. They're not the greatest League MX team. They're not an amazing team in general. But coming into this game, they scored three goals uh, against Chivas. They scored four against Olympia. I think they scored four against Puebla, so they had a pair of 4-0 wins and a 3-3 draw coming into this one. So I would have liked to see the Union go go down there with a 2-0. Of course, you know, I would like to see them go down with a 3-0. Who who wouldn't who wouldn't want that, right? But I think the the fact of the matter when you look at the circumstances surrounding this game and the fact that they got 45 minutes to play with a man up and they only came out of it with a 1-0 and you know, the red card and the the, the penalty and all the circumstances surrounding it, you can feel justifiably negadelphia about it, you know. Um, so I'm going to go through some bullet points here and then we'll get to your questions and your comments and your concerns. Um, you know, I give credit Jim I give credit to Jim for shaking things up in the starting lineup. Leon Flock coming off. Uh, Nate Harrell goes over to the left instead. Uh, they drop Ua. They go to the, the Christmas tree formation. Some different stuff there. Okay. All right. I'm all for change. I'm all for them mixing things up and trying different things. Um, but it felt like to me at times, like he was, um, 
you know, less, how do, how do I say this? It felt like it was less of a, um, a calculated strategy and more of at times just throwing shit at the wall or not throwing shit at the wall, throwing bodies into the game. Right. So Quinn Sullivan comes on. He's kind of playing off to the right. Alejandro Bedoya is playing right back for a portion of the game. Um, Nate Harriel, who's a right-footed guy, is over on the left, uh, and they're completely ignoring him right up a man. I mean, he's not going to give you any penetration, any attacking up the left side. So what what was the thought there? You know, I'm sitting here thinking, well, Jim could take him off. He could go to Matt Real. He could go to three at the back. He could try to balance out the attack. Because in the when you watch that in the second half there, they were just completely ignoring Harriel. They'd pass it to him, and then he'd turn around, put it on his right foot, and just pass it right back to Jack McGlynn. So it's like, what? Well, what's the point? They didn't even use that third of the field. They only used the two thirds of the field that were central and to the right. And they had Jack McGlynn kind of hovering back there from like deeper spots on the left, but there was no run up the flank. There was no attack towards the, the touch, towards the end line. There wasn't anything penetrative. Is that, is that a word, penetrative? I think it's, I think it's a word. But you get the point. So I think I think from that perspective, it was a little – it was painful to watch them try to – you know, they come back and they hit the post, right, with, with Ua in the second half. But that came off a counterattack. That came off of an 11v10 counterattack where Atlas had something going on the other end. So even then they needed the game to open up to get into a transitional moment to look more like themselves. So I think uh, – I give credit to Jim for mixing things up. And, I mean, he got the subs right. You're going to bring Sullivan on. You're going to bring Ua on, right? So I, I just – but I'm not sure if they were – it seemed like he was just like, here's here's the guys that are supposed to go in and just find a way to score a goal, right? I don't, I don't know, like, strategically what was going on there. Um, let me see what else I got here. Um, I'm going over some bullets. I'm, I'm using the crossing broad story I did as kind of like a frame of reference here. I, I put uh, 12 takeaways on the on the game on the, on the site. I thought Damian Lowe was a stud. Played great in this game. Uh, definitely the best offseason trades so far of the Torres, Perea, Lowe trio of trades that they, they made. Lowe, um, every bit as good uh, as Jack Elliott has been this season. And uh, you could you could make a case, maybe a conversation for another time, that maybe Lowe is the better choice over there. No, we shall see. Um, but, you know, he's played he's played CONCACAF games before. He uh, plays for Jamaica. He's got plenty of national team caps. So he's built for this stuff. He, un- he understands the, the bullshit – Concacaf gamesmanship and and all that. So, so uh, he, he was really perfect in that regard. That was a great great move that they made. Jacob Glasses, I thought, probably the best Union player on the field again. Uh, you know, he did have a mistake early in the game where he instead of booting the ball uh, into oblivion on the the right side of the field, he gave it away, and Atlas carved out a half chance coming the other way. So he hasn't been perfect, but I think when Glasses finds his way into uh, you know, I've talked about the concept of like uh, center backs or defenders entering the matrix, right? Everything kind of slows down for you and you can see things coming and it starts, the game starts to feel automatic to you. I think when he settles into that, he's been the best player on the field for them by, by far uh, this entire season. Andre Blake, nothing amazing to say here. Um, you know, him being back makes, just makes you feel so much more, so much more comfortable. And even I think he had a great diving save on a play that was called back for offside anyway. Uh, so even at, even if he's 80, 90%, whatever, he wasn't taking goal kicks. Uh, I still feel comfortable with him back there. Shot stopping more, much more so than Joe Bendick, who has just seemed to be rooted in cement on, 
some of the goals that, that he conceded over the last couple of games. Um, here's, here's one of the big gripes I have, and I, I hate this with every fiber of my being, um, but not once, not twice, but three times in this game, union players went down way too easily in the box. Um, it was Gaja dog was the first one. I think Harriel had one up the left and then, Karanzer was the last one. The only one of those, to, not, neither one of those ended up being a penalty. Only one went to VAR, which was the Carranza one, which I thought the ref got correct because I felt like Carranza kind of left the left leg out there a little bit to the point where it made it look like he was hunting for the contact instead of just trying to, I don't know how to explain this on a podcast, instead of continuing his, he he had the corner he turned the corner on the center back and it looked like he could have kept moving and kept trying to drive at goal, but it seemed as though he kind of like bent his left leg in a way that didn't look natural, which made it seem, I, I think in the ref's mind made the ref think that he was looking for contact instead of trying to just complete the sequence. Daniel Gage dog is on my shit list for the penalty hunting and for the foul hunting, because what happens is he puts himself in good positions in front of guys, then he feels a little bit of contact from behind and he starts going down. When when he may be able to finish some of these plays and just stay upright and then see what happens from there. Uh, Harriel, I thought, went down way too easy too. They're not giving the 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 referee any – they're not making it hard on the referee here because I think they're doing too much to sell it versus just letting the contact happen. You know, they're putting themselves in good positions that compromise defenders – but then let the defender clatter into you and make it obvious. You know, there's too much gray area here, and they're giving the ref the benefit of the doubt. The fact where he's looking at it, and I just hand the ref's probably saying, hey, I just think they went down too early. So, and from a macro level standpoint here too, I don't want the union to be that that team. I don't want them to turn into a team that's that's hunting for penalties and hunting for fouls and going down too easy in the box because that's not their identity. That's not what they carved out over the last – two to three, you know, since 2019 when they started to to really turn a corner and become this gritty, blue-collar, grinded-out, hard-working, hardcore kind of team. They are not fucking divers. They're not fucking foul hunters, right? Just go out and play. Like, don't give yourself that reputation because then you're only going to hurt your chances when the next ref comes in and says, hey, you know, this guy's got a penchant for diving. This guy's got a penchant for going down easy. So they got to cut that shit out because that, that's that's one thing that you don't want associated with this team. Make yourself hard to play against. Be physical, you know, hustle, grit, grind, pull out, whatever, you know, cliche you want to use. Just do, just do not become divers. Do not become divers because that's going to turn off a lot of people. You know, actually, to segue into that point too, even the foul on the the on Gosh Dog that got the red card that that one was a little iffy too because again, I, like, and yes, it was a foul, and yes, it was a red card. And yes, it was a denial of a goal scoring opportunity, but again, I felt like he felt the contact there and then went down. Whereas he may have been able to continue into the box and maybe he could have stayed up and then got it into the box and it would have been the penalty instead of the red card. Are you going to argue about which outcome is, is, is better, but that, that one I thought was also a little, I think that that goes a little, a little bit, hand in hand with what I'm saying about him feeling it from behind and then going down versus trying to stay up, trying to ride the contact a little bit. And then if you go down, you go down, but 
but but make it make the ref make it obvious for the for the ref you know so um what's my next point here oh you know okay so they play the christmas tree right and you got two tens on there um so then Carranza's is the the point man right and you know i just I, I don't know if you feel the same way i do but when i watch gosh dog Carranza, torres out there it feels like they're way too close together Feels like they're way too close together. And you combine the fact that you don't have anything going down the left at all. You know, where's the the width there? It seems so narrow and clumpy when they were when they were trying to attack to the point where like Gajdag or Torres has to either come back and find the ball and get on it and try to move defenders around, or one of those guys has to pull wide. You know, I, I know you guys remember how like Chaco Maidana would kind of pull left or, or pull right and try to open up space and try to find some time on the ball. So one of those guys has to do something to kind of make the defense work because there's way too many times last night where three guys were just sort of standing there watching Bedoya work, watching Abizo work, watching Jack McGlynn get on the ball. And it's like, you, you got to move, man. One guy goes, one guy stays. Back shoulder, dive into the channel, come find it, peel out wide. I mean, there's got to be something more that they can do there because I feel like what's happening now is that they'll, they'll, Gajdog more than Torres, but Gajdog did this in his first half year where he would come, he would receive the ball, he'd push his way out of danger, and then he'd turn. And by the time he would turn, he'd be 10 yards back from where he received the ball. So they either have to be able to turn in tight spaces and navigate that, hit some like bang, bang, one, two kind of stuff and, and kind of attack down the middle, but they're they're not. They they The ball's played into their feet there, and then they walk it backwards the way they're facing five yards, and then they turn around. It's like, okay, I'm nowhere close to the box. So if they're going to play the Christmas tree, they've got to get that sort of one-on-one, one-v-one interchange between Gajdog and Torres down. Who's occupying what space and where's Carranza running off to, you know? So that's the, uh, you know, the main thing that I see there. And Kai Wagner opens up a lot there because then they can use the entire left side of the field and they can get some some width going. But it's that Carranza can score headers, but he's not some big, like, target guy either. So it's like, what what do you, how are we kind of, dividing up the duties here you know what's it going to look like they have to they have to create more mobility and kind of try to spread that out a little bit the um you know the second 45 of this game i I knew it was going to happen but there's just some excruciating concacaf bullshit going on here yeah the goalkeeper was down their goalkeeper vargas i guess is that his last name he was down like five times Right. Uh, Quinn Sullivan committed a foul in the corner that was excruciating that killed another two minutes off the clock. I mean, there was a Glessness got in a tangle with somebody that burned some, some more time. And it's like, <laughs> just, I was preparing myself for like the biggest 40, longest 45 minutes of, of slop. But, uh, you know, the union got to help themselves in, in that regard too, because you know that Atlas is going to go down in any kind of contact. They're going to try to slow it down. I mean, you got to stop committing dumb, dumb fouls. You got to try to manage things from your side because um, they're going to conquer calf. So you got, you got to be ready for all that. Uh, two more points here, and then we'll get it to your questions and your comments and your concerns. Olivier Abizo, shocker, being casual in his own box again. This is a sequence that I, I think was offside. I, we didn't really get a clean replay of it, but Andre Blake comes out and makes a save. Damian Lowe gets tangled up. I think it was Quinones, like one versus three against the Union. Glessness had a block. I think the ensuing shot came off of Glessness. And then Mbizo was trying to do a, you know, trying to spin around in his own box and roll it back. And then 
you know, another guy and, and then he ends up trying to, I don't think he was trying to nutmeg the guy, but he's trying to pass it around. This guy comes off his feet and goes out of bounds. And you had talked about it before, but he just seems to have it. And Bizer just seems to miss that. Like, I don't know what you want to call it. Like that tick in your head, that sensor in your brain, that Spider-Man kind of tingly thing where you realize you're facing your own goal. You're in your box after a shot attempt. And there's gotta be like sirens blaring in your head, like burn, 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 get the fuck, get the ball, the fuck out of here. Burn, burn, burn. Just boot this thing anywhere. Burn, burn, burn. Like I'm in danger. You know what I'm saying? He just, he doesn't seem to have that, that, that like alarm you know, that alarm bell that goes off in your head and just says, whoa, I'm, I'm in trouble here. This is not the spot where I want to be. Hit that ball just one time, just boot it into the, the river. Yeah, it almost cost him again there. So, yeah, again, Olivier is a good one-on-one defender. He's good out wide. He's good on his feet. He has trouble when the ball's in the air or he's on the back post or when there's just he's playing his languid kind of in the flow of the game kind of style. And it, if that results in him just not saying, Oh shit, I got to hack this ball out of here. So I feel like we do this segment on the podcast every other week, you know, cause it's just bitch has been a thing with him. That's just who he is, you know? Um, so, and, and the final point here before I, you know, get into the, the um, comments, but the unions combined MLS and uh, Champions League record this year is four wins, two draws, and three losses. Fine. Yeah, not bad at all. They're two, one, and three in the league, and then they have the draw and the two wins in the Champions League. But again, I'll, I'll repeat it. It's worth repeating, right? Three of those wins were at home with an opponent being sent off. In the Chicago win, the goalkeeper flubbed a routine save. And in the Atlas game, the goalkeeper came flying out and clobbered into Carranza, conceding a penalty. Right, so it's so it's it's all it's a lot of, and, and yeah, soccer is a game of mistakes, and like you 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 put yourself in position to benefit from those mistakes, and you convert your penalties, and you get your points, and you move on. But again, I just think a lot of what the Union have been, even in the games that the Union have won this year, when they've been successful, when they've gotten points, or when they've been able to advance, I think a lot more of it is what the opponent is failing to do versus what the union are actually doing. If that makes any sense. I just want to see the union kind of grab control of a game and string together some passes, have a playmaker, make a play, someone do something special, get back into the form you were in last summer and uh, versus like having to rely on, uh, you know, comical blunders from the other team and the Atlas game, two of them, you know, that was the difference between this being a nil nil or a loss versus the one, nothing, you know, it was the comical back pass and then the goalkeeper error. And that was the dif- difference in, in this game. So, you know, look, I, I get it. You know, they're, they're not, they started slow last year and they started slow in the league when they were playing in the champions league two years ago. So nobody should really be surprised by any of this, but again, I just think the expectations are different for this team and, and justifiably. So that's not even the fans and the media setting those expectations. Like the, the players know, they two years ago they went to the league semifinals. Last year they went to MLS Cup, right? I mean, the expectations are justifiably high. This is not some secret. This is not like us asking the Philadelphia Flyers to go out and win a bunch of games. You know, I mean, we've pro- we have properly framed this union team and what this season is. 
So I don't think that ne- I don't think Negadelphia is unjustified at all. I think we have to be selective when we use it because I think when you just do too much bitching and complaining, you know, you sound like the WIP caller where it's like nothing is ever good enough. But that's not the case for this union team because they're very good and they have high expectations. And quite frankly, they're better than what they've shown so far. So I'm not naive to the fact that like last year, you know, I think I guess it was 15 goals in their first 10 games. And then they scored 57 over their next 24, right? So they're not going to average. We'd be naive to think that they're going to do that again. But yes, I mean, they basically turned it on in July of last year. And maybe there's some hangover there. Maybe there's, maybe them and the Phillies both have kind of the short offseason kind of, we just lost the championship thing going on. Maybe that's hanging over their head. That's always impossible to to prove, though. I don't I don't think that's something you can ever prove short of a, a player or a coach coming out and, and admitting that, right? Because it's a psychological thing, right? We don't we don't have any data that says like, oh, they're they're not playing as hard or they're not dialed in as much as as they were last year. We don't have like we can't read people's brains, you know. So that's always going to be a nebulous kind of uh, concept, I guess. All right, let's see what you got in the way of questions, comments, and concerns here. Start off with Jared. Are the union bunkering enough? The defense isn't as tight as it was last year, and their possession seems to be happening in tighter spaces. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, their possession numbers are up this year, uh, at least at least in the league. And uh, I think the difference right now is like five percentage points. They're, they're still bottom. Hey, I think they're mid mid table, like middle of the pack this year, and they were bottom bottom uh, bottom ten, bottom eight, something like that last year. But um, yeah, I, the and there's the red the red card in there too with the Chicago game, so that skews it a little bit where they're holding on to a lot of the ball. But but yeah, I, I don't. Um, I think like early on there were some gaps in the lines, you know, where Elliot and Glessons were playing a little too far back. I think they definitely needed to bring the. Like in the Columbus game, for example, they pushed that that line up and they tried to close the distance between uh, the back line and the midfield line for sure. I think I don't know. If, I don't know if like bunkering would be the right word necessarily, but they haven't been as compact. I think at, at times, and the union uh, and opponents are giving them more of the ball. So it's like, okay, you want to counterattack on us? You want to turn us over? Or whatever? How about we just let you have a little bit more of the ball and you come break us down? I think that's probably what you're going to see more of, and what you have seen more of, really. Um, because the union are not really a pressing, they haven't been a pressing team for a while. Uh, so, so teams are gonna gonna look at them a little a little bit different. But I don't know. I I didn't really have the time to dive into passing statistics necessarily. I, you can look at pure percentages and final third entries and things like that. But um, the stuff that I've been noticing f- with the eye test and the way that they pass is stuff going from the midfield line to the forward line or, or kind of that. Second line to the first line, they've been off off base there. You know, it looks like a lot of turnovers and changes in possession and stuff where they're trying trying like twenty to thirty yards or fifteen to twenty five yards or something like that, um, where they just have trouble kind of breaking that 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 midfield line re- really more than anything. I, I have to go back and look at that. I think somebody did a big long thread on Twitter that I'll I'll, I'll go look at and see if I can share that for you, but. Um, yeah, the defense has been a little loose. I think it's I think it's mostly about them getting the sp- spacing right between uh, <clears throat> excuse me between the, the the back line and the midfield line. Uh, let's see, Jose here. Uh, Damian Lowe must be pushing for a starting spot on the weekly roster, right? Um, 
great matches in the CCL tell the tale. Yeah, I mean, I said it earlier. I think he's I think he's as good as Jack Elliott right now. Um, he's got as much experience as he does, and more really at the international level. So, uh, you know, they definitely you know at least for the rotation now, he should be your Champions League starter next to Glessness and let Elliott play all the MLS games. That's what I would do. Um, you know, and then we'll see when the Champions League is over. You know how what comes of that, but. To me, Glessness is center back number one and really not much to separate the other two guys right now. Uh, number two is, is Bedoya a cyborg? Yeah, I don't know. He, he, people, people seem to be all over the place with Bedoya because um, some people think he's too old and doesn't have it anymore and he runs out of gas and some people think he's playing just fine. You know, um, I still think he's doing a lot of good things. He's getting up on the right. He's cutting the ball back and you know getting some dangerous looking passes into the box. Um, you know, does he gonna is he, does he have as much juice as he did three years ago? No, but I mean, he's largely doing what he's done or the last couple of years. So I haven't, I haven't seen enough of a drop off there to 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 make me think like, hey, they got to do something right now. You know, I I think it's more it's more exacerbated by what they have on the left side and the fact that Leon has no offensive game at all. So I think when you're looking for something in total from the shuttlers, you're looking at it coming from Ali because you're not. <laughs> You're not going to get anything going forward from Leon, right? So I think it's more of a – it's kind of deceptive, I think, I think in that regard, you know. Uh, number th- Question number three, why is Kyle Pagan such a coward? I invited him to a union game and no response, starting to think he's scared. I know, we got to get Pagan down there. He's not a soccer guy. Um, he had a Tottenham thing going for a little bit, I think, but he's just not an MLS guy. He doesn't hate it. You know, he's, he's not some uh, – you know, he's not some crusty – you know, four for four soccer sucks kind of guy, but yeah, he's, he's, he's lukewarm on him. He's lukewarm. So we got to get him down there. Uh, Klein says, do you think there's any more to the Ua transfer rumor from that Danish podcast I tweeted about early in the off season? No, I think that was fake news. I think they just took the, the earlier thing from Tannenwald and I think they just totally fudged it. I think they just completely messed that up. I haven't heard anything more about that ever since then. No. Jim says, uh, do you have thoughts on the Christmas tree? Uh, is it possible to have Flock McGlynn and Bedoya on the field at the same time? I uh, saw a tweet that said Carranza has reverted back to his Miami uh, form. Is that a fair assessment at the moment? Yeah, I mean, Carranza's been a little bit – he's taken a step back as well. He's not in form. Um, but he showed some good flashes here and there. Uh, as far as is it possible to have Flock McGlynn and Bedoya on the field at the same time? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but um, – you know, that would come in the form of Leon kind of playing the six and Jack kind of hovering over to the left and Bedoya hovering over to the right. You know, but between – there's not enough defensive bite really to, to have uh, – you know, to play Bedoya as a six or to play McGlynn as a six, uh, nor is either one of those guys like a six or an eight in a double pivot. They could both play the eight in a double pivot, but neither one of those guys is a six, right? You still got to have to have like a ball winner with, with bite playing there. So, I mean, one thing they could try if they wanted to is to try to do some reverse like Andrea Pirlo wizard kind of shit where you play low Elliot and glasses and you put McGlynn in front of them. Uh, yeah. You know, and you go like three, you go the old, like, like Chile kind of Chile slash Juventus three center backs, you know, a, uh, a deep lying playmaker. And then, you know, you're due to box to box guys in front of them. You know, like a, like a Claudio Marquisio or like a, uh, you know, who did Chile use when they played their 3-5-2? Uh, Arturo, Arturo Vidal, 
right? Or uh, the guy, the guy from Chile who played for Leverkusen for all those years. What the fuck was his name? Charles Arangis. You know, if you had a guy like that, where if you're playing three center backs, let McGlynn get a lot of the possession, shield him with the three center backs, and then have the two box to box guys right in front of him, and play like a three five two. That way, you could do it. But again, you're kind of fundamentally changing a lot of what you do. And then where does Jose Martinez play? Is he an eight? You know, so that's the best I can do on that. I, I'm okay with the Christmas tree. I don't, the Christmas tree is not my favorite formation. I think it plays kind of narrow. I think you need to have good fullbacks to make it work. And I, I think with two tens in there, it gets a little redundant at times. But, uh, you know, obviously obviously they went to that more out of necessity a couple of years ago versus like what they really wanted to do. So uh, it's interesting. It's not, it's not my favorite thing, though. Um, this is from Phil. He says, my daughter, uh, of all people, a big union supporter, asked me at the Atlas game who the most likely players to leave are. Um, his guesses were Carranza, uh, sold for a return Wagner because he knows what his deal is an Ambizo young up and down and maybe Elliot for a big return. I think Carranza is probably the leader in the clubhouse now to be sold. Right. Cause if Wagner and Martinez hadn't been sold by now, um, do we think it's going to happen in the summer? The summer is the bigger transfer window because of the calendar in Europe and how it matches up. But I would have thought they would have gone by now. So I don't know if I had to give you a list, I'd say Carranza number one, Carranza number one, Wagner number two. Yeah, and then Martinez number three. Then maybe Baizo. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I'd do it. Uh, this is from Go Union. He says, can you compare a heat map and miles per game for Bedoya so far this season versus this far along last season? I can try to do that on Twitter. Make a note of that, see if I can find the charts and put something together there can't do it uh in live time on the podcast you know this is from al he says quinn sullivan has been very lively when uh when he's in should he get more playing time also it's the time to mix up the midfielder formation due to the sluggish start uh mcglynn last night was great yeah you know what i didn't i didn't really touch on mcglynn too much in the observations i thought he had a much better game and obviously when he's playing 11 versus 10 he sees more of the more of the ball and can do some things on his left foot he doesn't have to worry about defending as much yeah, again, I just don't think that he's a – I don't think he's a box-to-box eight. I don't think he's like a shuttler in the diamond. And really, when you're playing the Christmas tree, the – you know, the, the, those positions are, are not much different, uh, you know, because you're still playing a line of four and a line of three, right? It's 4-3-2-1 ver, versus basically like a 4-3-1-2, right? So you're just swapping out a striker for a num- another number 10. So nothing – Nothing behind you, nothing on your line changes, nothing on the line behind you changes, it's a line in front of you. So I don't know. I just I would like to see four, two, three, one. I think I think McGlynn's best best role would be a number eight in four, two, three, one. But they just don't go to the four, two, three, one anymore because they don't have wingers. You know? I mean they can fudge it and they can make it work, but I just don't I don't know. Maybe the thought was with Harry all over there. Harry could just defend, and McGlynn could do some of the facilitating from the left side. But again, it was like there was no there's no penetration up that side because McGlynn's not going to bomb down the flank and get to the the end line, and uh, Harry's right footed. So, so you know what I'm saying there, Joe. Uh, why is Bedoya playing 90 minutes every game? Curtin should be preserving his old legs. I agree. I thought we'd see more Perea. Um, I thought they'd try to manage Ollie a little bit more. I guess they just believe in their sports science again, you know? 
Connor uh, says, can they ban the megaphone from the river end? I don't know. I, I see stuff about that. I see tweets about that. I think I saw something on Reddit about that. But I don't like involve myself in the Sons of Ben shit because I don't sit over there. I've never sat in the river end and I don't, you know, the supporter culture stuff. Yeah, we did. You know, Matt came on after he resigned and we did the larger level stuff about the Sons of Ben and the, um, God, what was the whole controversy over? You know, the, the off the, the off field stuff and are they of, you know, is there, there's there are there political leanings? Should the supporters group do activism at the same time? I mean, we've had those discussions, but as far as like what chance you guys do and who's yelling into the megaphone, and who's beating the drum and shit, I don't know. I try to stay out of that. Uh, that's something like people gotta kinda solve on their own. I don't really notice it on television. Um Maybe other people do, but I think I'd have to get back down to the stadium and try to try to listen to that to see if it's a <laughs> it's a thing. I don't know who's on the megaphone. I think it's Jared. I think Jared's doing the megaphone, right? I'm not sure. You guys can please yourselves on that. I'm not, I'm not going to get involved in that. Uh, this is from Mike. He says have have teams figured out how to beat uh, slash defend against the union, uh, or are the union just off to a slow start? I think it's more of a slow start, you know. I mean, because remember, they, they, they've been playing the diamond for three years or four years now. So if they didn't figure it out in 2021 and they didn't figure it out in 2022, like what's different now? You know what I'm saying? Like, did, did they need four years to figure it out? Did they need three years to figure it out? I just think the union, like for that formation to work for that shape to work, they got to be tenacious, you know, and they've only been – last year they were in fifth gear the entire time. The highest they've reached this year is maybe four and a half. Four and a half gear, fourth gear. So uh, the the way that you beat the the union is you just give them the ball, and you say like, okay, you come break us down, you know, and then try to counter off of their mistakes and try to like flip flip it and, and play their game against them. Otherwise, you just got to out physical them and cut down on mistakes, you know. But I think teams that pass the ball well, teams that can possess, teams that can work in tight spaces, they're the kind of teams that give the union trouble if you got enough attacking skill. Um, but otherwise, like if, if you if you don't have the ball, you can't make as many mistakes. So I think trying to balance out the possession numbers and pick and choose your attacks, um, that's kind of the way to do it against the union. That's the way I would game plan against them again. More questions about McGlynn, questions about Flock. Uh, people seem to be down on Leon. Uh, I think there's a lot of people who you know would like to just see McGlynn play over Flock and just give you more offensively. Uh, I'm not against it. You know, I'm not against it at all. Um, it's a question about Torres, Joaquin Torres. Uh, this is from Tenor. Uh, he says they need to stop trying to flick every ball into a forward into space. Torres is good, but he's not a full 90 minutes player. I think he's better as a super sub. Um, yeah, Torres is, is interesting. I haven't been outside of that first game and that highlight real turn that he pulled off. I haven't really been impressed. He's a guy who's low to the ground and, you know, you think maybe able to face up and take guys on and, you know, try some stuff, but, but he seems to have trouble for a small guy kind of evading uh, people. He's not as slippery. Um, He doesn't seem to be as quick maybe as I thought he would be. And I'd love to get him, you know, facing the defense with the ball once, you know, I think a lot of times he's trying to, he receives it and his backs to the goal. He's trying to turn and the ball gets caught in his feet and he's trying to kind of squeeze it out of there. I'd love for him to be able to 
kind of face up and and run it run it guys or even then kind of kind of swing out wide and get the ball turn and face and maybe hit some of those loopy Roger Torres kind of kind of floaty crosses into the box I and mean, maybe that's something for him to do though but you know, he's definitely not El Cino, that that's for sure you know um but you know you got two tens in there where's the creativity coming from there's like maybe a couple instances of them trying flicks or trying you know like crafty stuff in there but for the most part i mean they're getting the ball facing away and kind of running away from goal so it's definitely something to um keep an eye out on you know this is from uh union hulk union hulk he says uh Hey, um, it's about time that sports writer Kareef Gabriel, his NDA is up, right? Uh, when is the union book coming? I don't know. Yeah, did Kareef say? Because Kareef was on. Uh, Kareef was on here a couple years ago. I, I did he mention? I think he I, was it like ten years. Like you're not supposed to be able to reveal anything. I'd love to have the old school union employees come on and tell all the crazy stories. You know. I don't think the book's ever going to be written. I got like way too much on my plate right now. I think what we end up doing is we end up doing like a podcast, a special series of the podcast where we come on and tell all the crazy stories. So instead of me having to write all of it down, I just try to get like hacked to come on and just say the story on the podcast, you know, maybe we'll do it that way. Save the, save the legwork, you know, and let me see here. Uh, there's only a couple more. This is from Matt, Matt Baddorf. He says, uh, is Ua fully fit or is he really this limited now? It almost seems like when Casper fell off a cliff with his lack of creating danger. Ua just does not seem to be. He had he hit the post. He had I think the one creative like counter press moment, but he's not a he's not he's not a super athletic guy, and he's not like a super skilled player either. He's a straight line, good finisher, can run off the back shoulder, but uh, he just feels very yeah he feels very limited, like athletically like. Uh, yeah, I mean, at least I've compared him to Sebastian before, but Sebastian played entire an entire season on the right wing and banged in crosses and got assists off that too. Like, I don't see Ua doing that, you know? It seems like his skill set is very, uh, very narrow, you know, very, very uh, try not to use the word limited again here. It's very linear. He's a very linear player. Straight line runs, straight line finishing. I don't, you know, he's not the kind of guy that I would see like back to goal, kind of turn, hold it up for somebody else or run off a one, two or something. I, I don't, I don't know. It seems, it seems, seems like he's a little, little bit of a concern at this point. Um, last one here. Oh, two more. I'm sorry. Steve Turner says I'm beating a dead horse here, but why does Jim hate subs up 10 against Atlas? He only makes two separate subs. Uh, clearly the plan wasn't working. Does he lack creativity to adjust? Stuck in their ways. Trust McGlynn for 90 in the CCL, but not 30 in MLS. I think Jim just didn't want to concede. You know, I just think it's a conservative mindset from a guy who's was a defender. And he, more than anything, he just doesn't want to give up a goal. You know, it's probably why Harry all played 90 minutes at left back. I would have, I would have done the opposite. You know, I would have pulled Harry L immediately. I would have said, let's fucking go for it. Let's bag some goals here and try to go down to Mexico with a lead. Um, you know, but Jim's thought, I guess, is just always like, let's let's not concede and let's be protective here and let's get our goal and let's get our one nothing and go home. You know, so that's my uh that's my best thought there, you know. Also, Corey Burke is and not having him has been huge. Just a huge you know, drop off because if you wanted to get, if you wanted to stay in the four four two diamond, but one of your strikers was out of form and you needed to drop him from the team, 
well, who are you replacing them with? Chris Donovan, right? So instead they go to the Christmas tree because your third best forward slash striker on the team is Joaquin Torres right now. So that's, that's something they got to solve. I really think they should add another forward um, in the summer because I don't think this is going to be sustainable for a full year. Uh, last one here from Rick McGovern. Same starting 11, same coach. Why is the offense not firing? Can we blame Torres? Yep. Yeah, it's a million-dollar question. Man. I, just, I don't know. They start. I'm not uh, – again, they start slow offensively. Last year they started slow offensively the year before. So I'm not naive to that. You know, it just looks like they have no idea. They're so used to scoring off of opponent mistakes or transitional moments or turnovers where they can get odd, odd man numbers going forward or odd man rush slash slash numbers going forward that they just look like they're out of ideas when they don't have, you know, when they're trying to break down a team that's just sitting back there with 10 men. I mean, they attack down the right. They try to get Bedoya involved. They try to get him into the channel, the, the cutbacks. Uh, Jacob Glasses will unleash one every so often. But they but they don't they, – they ignore the left side. And if Kai Wagner is out there, he'll pump some crosses into the box. They, just, they don't have a lot of ideas, you know, because they're used to scoring their goals in certain ways, you know. So it looks almost like they're playing a fundamentally different game out there at times. And that's just kind of been, you know, my, my observation, you know, plus the conservative mindset to not, not want to concede. And this is what you get, but you just need something special from these players too. I mean, individually, some of these guys just got to step up and make a play. Right. Um, I do see a little bit of Eagles here. I see a little bit of Jonathan Gannon, Super Bowl stuff where it's like, we can talk about Jim Curtin all we want. We can talk about, Christmas tree. We can talk about diamond. We can talk about four, two, three, one. We can talk about subs. We can like at the end of the day, somebody just got to make a play. You know what I'm saying? Like, get, like where's the, that individual moment of brilliance? Like, and those will come hopefully. But that's what I looked at. That's why I said to everybody about the Eagles in the Super Bowl. It's like you can say all you want about Jonathan Gannon and cover two and blitz rate and stuff like that, but. Okay, Brandon Graham or Fletcher Cox or Javon Hargrave or TJ Edwards, Chauncey Gardner. Somebody's got to make a fucking play, right? So that's <laughs> to me. I think that's sometimes what it what it comes down to, you know. Because Jim Curtin's not on the field, you know. He's standing off to the side, and I'm waiting for Gosh Dog to make a play, waiting for Joaquin Torres to make another play. Yeah, I'm waiting for Carranza or to to make a play. Like somebody's got to show something here. You know, let's show a bit of skill, creativity, flair, and uh, in the meantime, we'll grit it out and we'll win one nothing against Atlas. I'm not, I'm not never going to complain about that. But uh, that performance did not pass the eye test, and uh, I appreciate you all uh, for joining me on this journey through Negadelphia. <laughs>